Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. In fact, we rolled out the red carpet for Paul. It's the annual year-end awards show. Six categories voted on by our panel of experts. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. In any case, let's not waste any more time. Raise the curtain. We've got hardware to hand out. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 637, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. By the way, Paul, before we get started here, have you had a chance to meet the new guy yet? Uh, I passed by him in the hallway. Does that qualify as a meeting? Probably not. So my answer would be no. I, at least you've been closer than I have. I did see him in a conference room and otherwise engaged in what is most important for him right now, and that is one, looking at the roster and fielding a head coach. But no, I have not had a chance to shake hands and put a name to a face with new Cardinals general manager Monty Austin Ford, but I came away impressed with his press conference on Tuesday. Although I did ask him a question during the presser, and he did hey, say, That's better than I did. Nice to meet you. Of course, he said that to everybody asking a question, so um, very engaging of him. Uh, I thought it was a good tactic and game plan, the whole meet and greet at the press conference. So, you know, if your qualification is you have to shake hands, then the answer, once again, is no. All right, so we're in the same boat in that area. I like it. Misery loves company, as they like to say here. All right, so that is not what we are joining everyone here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. No, this we'll have plenty of time to dissect the offseason ahead, but just maybe one last look back at 2022, if you can bear with us here, everyone. But we do it each and every year, the year-end awards, six categories, six winners. We've got 27-member panel voting we don't rely on the Academy. There's no Hollywood foreign press, but 27 individuals that make up the azcardinals.com content team. Wow, it's really grown over the years. Oh, yes. I remember it was more like seven. <laughs> now it's 27. Doesn't matter. Every year there's debate, dare I say controversy, outrage. Uh, so let the reindeer games begin here because uh, I will say this, Gree, I don't mean to be a contrarian, but not a single one of my votes lines up with any of the winners not a single one i am glad you noticed that because i was going to leave that till the end but you beat me to it yes none of your selections were winners <laughs> right. in either of the That's six right. categories now you did i'm not saying your selections were wrong they just didn't match up with most everyone else in our department so for better or worse uh, there's no group think from yours truly now, uh, whether I'm, I'm the exception, whether I'm the outlier, uh, that's for everyone to determine themselves. But I'm here. I'm ready to debate why this entire final award <laughs> list is wrong. It is wrong on a, I mean, every single category. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's bring it. Let's go here. That is the headline here. Paul in the minority in every category. All right, let's first begin with Offensive Player of the Year. And before we announce the winner, and we know that you did not select the winner, why don't we go over who you chose as the Offensive Player of the Year? Who was the steadying force amidst all the chaos? Who was the only offensive player to start and play every single game? Your right tackle, Beach and the backups, 
Kelvin Beecham. That was our nickname because he was the one constant, and everyone else, everything else just revolved around him. So everyone else was a moon around his planet, if you will. The 11-year veteran, Kelvin Beecham, not only his steady play at right tackle, not only the fact at the very end of the year he had to play some left tackle in a pinch when down went Josh Jones, but there was Kelvin Beecham meeting the media at the worst of times. There was Kelvin Beecham providing much-needed leadership, which was documented by hard knocks. So in terms of your offensive player of the year, and I know it's hard to quantify when you play offensive line. You're not going to have the stats. You're going to have the pro football focus ratings, which the offensive linemen themselves don't even buy into because how can you give an assessment of a guy's play when you don't know what his assignment was on that play, et cetera. But uh, to me, just watching from the sidelines, the MVP on offense was Kelvin Beecham. And I think the distinction that you made as far as the steadying presence, when you look at these awards, though, it always goes to, all right, who finished in the stats? Who won the stat battle, if you will? And with sure. an offensive line, you can't quantify their their importance because there's nothing to back that up. And that kind of goes to what we'll talk about later on, but the beyond-the-box score player is where Kelvin Beecham got a lot of his recognition. But I'll say this. You were not alone in your selection of Kelvin Beecham. Ron Wolfley also select Beach. Uh-huh. There were five total voters that selected Kelvin Beecham. The others receiving votes, DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, Kyler Murray, and Billy Price. But when you're talking about this season, the offense, and how much little we saw of Kyler Murray this season, how little we saw of DeAndre Hopkins, how little we saw of Hollywood Brown, this offense did not have Kyler Murray, D-Hop, Hollywood Brown, and Rondell Moore on the field all together this season. So it was hard to really figure out who was that offensive force, if you will. But in a landslide, at least relatively speaking, but the majority of the 27 voters went with running back James Conner, who got 14 of the 27 votes based off his statistics, eight total touchdowns, and actually finishing with more rushing yards than he did a year ago. And he was by far the most potent running back they had. Obviously, you know, Benjamin didn't even make it through the entire season, and then he didn't even make it with the Houston Texans. We get that. Keontae Ingram, I don't know if he hit the rookie wall or what, but he obviously didn't finish with a flourish. Corey Clement, he got some reps at the end of the year. So, yes, James Conner, despite the fact he missed a handful of games with that rib injury, he played through pain and then really turned it on towards the end of the year. So beyond Kelvin Beecher to me, there's no doubt James Conner would be the next best selection. And you know what? Honestly, you look at the last few games especially, when he was averaging five yards a carry or more, yet didn't even get 20 carries in a game, to me that was one of the curiosities down the stretch. I mean, think about it. You had Week 15 and you had Trace McSorley against Tampa. James Conner averaged 5.3 yards a carry, but he only had 15 carries in that loss against Tampa, a close game throughout. Week 16 at Denver, I mean, Colt McCoy on third and one at the 34, and it's a zone read. You know, what's the risk-reward? Just give it to James Conner when you have a 36-year-old backup quarterback and you got a lot of nothing behind him at that point in the season. You know, week 17 at Atlanta, David Blau, he attempted 40 passes. David Blau, 40 passes. He'd been on the team two and a half weeks. James Conner averaged five yards a carry, yet only got 16 carries in that game. So I get it. James Conner, not only is your award winner, but to me, 
I thought he was underutilized, especially in the last month of the season. And even when you get down one score or two scores, if that happens in the first half, you do not need to abandon the run. And I think the previous coaching staff, that was something that was an issue at times, that they went away from what was working or what could potentially get the team back into a game or maintain the lead. But with James Conner, I'm curious to wonder, and I'd love to speak with James as well, how much of those first handful of games when he was healthy, but he maybe really wasn't quite healthy, and he played through a lot early in the season, and then when he did become the focal point of the offense, we heard head coach Cliff Kingsbury say, yeah, James is finally healthy now, but he played through so much that he wasn't as effective, but if you had an effective James Conner all season long, maybe that's asking too much based off his how he runs and his injury history over the years, that how much better this offense might have been, or at least to help out everything else along that side of the ball. The fact that he had his first 100-yard rushing game as an Arizona Cardinal, and he's had only one, was not only surprising to all of us who are close to the team. Like we had to go back and check. Like, is that true? He only he was a Pro Bowl running back in 2021. He had the 18 touchdowns, but he only has a single 100-yard rushing game. I think that right there is an illustration or testimony to the fact he's been underutilized. Give him 25, 30 carries. He was on the Big Red Rage in this studio in December saying that, yes, in the fourth quarter, he sees DBs turning it down. Yes, an offense can wear down a defense, especially the second and third levels of a defense when you have a power-punishing running game going. So that's something I'm real curious going forward if the new coaching staff utilizes James Conner. Just utilizes him more. Just just, just more James Conner, please, going forward. Because the run sets up the pass. And that's something we've heard a lot, and we just didn't see it a lot in 2022. So James Conner, the Offensive Player of the Year. And again, when you look at Defensive Player of the Year, once again, the distinction is looking more at the stats than anything else because it was J.J. Watt who received 21 of the 27 votes by far the most votes received by any one player in any of the categories. But as we documented at the start of the show, Paul, you did not vote for J.J. Watt as Defensive Player of the Year. You chose who? J.J. Watt got a higher honor from me, and we'll get to that a little bit later. (laughs) There were only two choices at Defensive Player of the Year. It was either J.J. Watt or the player I voted for, (laughs) Buda Baker. In fact, I'm curious. You have the list of all, all the votes. Did anybody other than those two get a vote? Zayvon Collins got one oh, vote. I mean, come on. Zayvon Collins. Okay. But you're right. As far as when you're talking about this defense, now, yes, Buda Baker led the team in tackles, but I think across the board when you look at statistics and then the impact on those statistics, i.e. sacks, tackles for loss, J.J. Watt had a better season than Buda Baker. So, in my estimation, Paul. And that's why I reserved a higher honor for J.J. Watt than just Defensive Player of the Year. And we're tracking and trending towards that. Plus, there are other elements that J.J. Watt brought that we all saw in Hard Knocks, which that's another reason I reserved the higher honor. But as for Defensive Player of the Year, yes, Buda Baker was my answer. He's the human eraser. Over the last five years, he has so many more tackles than any other safety in the league. I know other safeties have been voted all pro over him, especially this year. The Derwin James, the Minka Fitzpatricks. I get it. Those guys are elite players. But so's Buddha. And just the tackle stats say it all for me. How many times have you said, okay, 
That was a chunk play saving tackle, touchdown saving tackle from Buda Baker. There's a reason the players and coaches refer to him as a human eraser. There's a reason why we saw in Hard Knocks the assistant coaches are pointing to Buda as the barometer, as the benchmark for everyone else and how you play the game, the sort of the sort of effort you bring on every single snap, even games that are out of hand, and he's still flying around. I've said before, I've learned on the sidelines, when all of a sudden there's a blur out of nowhere making a tackle in traffic and you're not sure who it is, it's Buda Baker. And I'll end with this. In August, we heard a lot of talk that Jalen Thompson might be approaching Buda Baker. And you know what? I think Buda put out a statement season. Nope. There's me in the safety room and everyone else. Jalen Thompson's a fine player, and he got a well-deserved contract extension. But he's not Buda Baker. Buda is the standard, and that's why I voted him Defensive Player of the Year. See, I saved Buda Baker for a higher honor. I get it. And we'll get it yep. into that a little bit later on. But when you look at what J.J. Watt was able to do and what we found out late in the season was going to be his final season – 18 tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks, 25 quarterback hits. Paul, he led the team in those categories despite his age and this being his 12th season. And then if you want to talk about what he meant off the field as well, lifting up everyone along that defense, defensive line, and what he hopes and what we hope, at least I hope, this means now for a Zach Allen moving forward, a Rashard Lawrence moving forward, Lecky Foe too, Cameron Thomas, every one of those players that, in the case of Thomas, looked up to number 99 and now all of a sudden for a season had the opportunity to be around him to learn what it takes to be a pro. How many games did Zach Allen miss at the end of the year? The last five or six at least, right, with a hand injury? So think about all the extra attention J.J. Watt got after 94 went down. Think of... I had players tell me in the last month of the season that it got to the point where teams would come in with run checks away from J.J. Watt. Quarterbacks would come up to the line of scrimmage and they check into a run away from 99. That's sort of the Aaron Donald rule. That's what the Cardinals have done with Aaron Donald. Okay, where's the Rams number 99? Because we're running the other direction. He's on the right, we're running left. Teams started doing that with J.J. Watt again, especially after Zach Allen was out of the lineup. So that's the ultimate respect right there. And despite all that, he put up all those stats that you just cited. So, yes, for everything that was J.J. Watt, what a glorious finish to a first ballot Hall of Fame career. But beyond that, he leaves a gigantic hole in the Cardinals' defensive front. That is a huge pair of cleats that you have to replace this offseason. You know, we all enjoyed saying goodbye to J.J. Watt. You're not going to enjoy when training camp starts in August going, wait a minute, where's J.J. and who's replacing that guy on the defensive line? That's why re-signing Zach Allen becomes so important. And then that voice on that defensive side, yeah, you got Buda Baker, but in that in the trenches, along that line of scrimmage, who's going to be that alpha male, if you will, and kind of lift up everyone else? Is that Zach Allen? Well, one, he has to be here in order for that to happen. And it did take J.J. Watt a little while to learn how to be that player. And you hope now that, again, as long as he's here, Zach Allen can morph into not J.J. Watt, his own version of J.J. Watt, but be one of those, a Calais Campbell. The team really hasn't had a homegrown defensive lineman since Calais Campbell. They've been looking to find one, and maybe that is Zach Allen. If you look at the first round of playoff games, was there a better player for the New York Giants than Dexter Lawrence? 
I, I know Daniel Jones was phenomenal, but Dexter Lawrence down the stretch, Micah Parsons for Dallas all over the field. If you can get that dude along your defensive front, which maybe the Cardinals are able to do at number three overall if they stick with that pick, whether it's a Will Anderson, a Jalen Carter, if you can get that guy, that is a huge part of any playoff team. And you're right, back when the Cardinals were rolling and going to NFC Championship games, they had Calais Campbell. And then he got the big money, big, big money from, from Jacksonville. But one other note on J.J. Watt, and you pointed to his leadership, I will say this, that after, you know, it was middle of his first year, the 2021 season with the Cardinals, I do remember doing a Cliff Kingsbury TV show, and, and he said, you know what, we all had an idea of what sort of player J.J. Watt was. This is after he went down, and, and they were missing him. But we had no idea what his leadership skills were like. His ability to command a room and just deliver a speech at the drop of a hat. I mean, he was better than most coaches in the league at his ability to command attention and address that room. So, yeah, that's going to leave a void as well. All right, we continue here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, now looking at newcomer of the year. And based off of the selections, there were – the difference as far as how you defined newcomer. First-year player, i.e. draft pick, or first-time player wearing an Arizona Cardinals uniform. So depending on how people viewed newcomer was depending on how you voted because we did get votes from MyJ Sanders, Lasita Smith, Cameron Thomas, part of that draft class. But the winner, Hollywood Brown, received 19 of the 27 votes well, Hernandez was the next highest with three, and that happened to be your selection as we continue <laughs> running down the right. list of candidates that Paul did not select yeah. that turned out to be winners here in 2022. This might have been my toughest vote right here because, yes, you could have gone with a Hollywood Brown for many of the same reasons I went with Will Hernandez. If Will Hernandez would have played an entire season, I think it would have been a slam dunk, but obviously he didn't. He had the chest injury, just like Hollywood Brown missed a handful of games. So, but it is newcomer of the year. It's not rookie of the year. It's newcomer of the year. So I don't think there should really be any confusion. And you shouldn't be restricted to just a rookie. You should be able to uh, to vote for a guy who was new to the team. It's newcomer of the year. And for me, it was just Will Hernandez. It was it was training camp, getting into that scrap with J.J. Watt. That hey, I'm here. I'm going to be physical. Hopefully, everybody else will follow my lead. You know, if you notice when the Cardinals were able to run the ball down the stretch with James Conner, they were they were able to pick up the third and ones, fourth and ones, red zone tough yards, get some of those touchdown runs. More often than not, they were running behind Will Hernandez. And so I think, you know, to me, he's a guy that I sincerely hope is under contract for next year because not only do I like the player, I like the mentality. Oh, absolutely. You need that guy Soft-spoken off the field, but between the white lines, takes nothing from anybody, including, you mentioned that training camp battle, if you will, them pushing. It got physical between Will Hernandez and J.J. Watt. So, yeah, I would love to see him back. By the way, you weren't alone in your selection of Will Hernandez. Drew Stanton selected Will. Obviously, you know, quarterback's best friend, the offensive line. And then Luis Hernandez, Spanish radio play-by-play, selected Will Hernandez as well as far as newcomer of the year. Look, I, I I can't disagree with that selection just because, one, when he was healthy, I do think he helped solidify that right side along Kelvin Beecham to where that became, especially when Humphreys went down, that right side of the line became the strength of the offensive line. No doubt. And you're in a division with Nick Bosa, 
the defensive player of the year probably, Aaron Donald, a legendary defensive player. So, you know, you're in a division, Al Woods from Seattle, who was a wrecking ball at times. You know, it's a really important position. And I, I don't think it gets enough attention in terms of its value to an offense. Obviously, Drew Stanton knows because the quickest way to a quarterback is straight through the A-gap. And Will Hernandez is right there. And so it's another reason why, just based on some of the opponents the Cardinals played and some of the opposition's best players, a lot of times we're in those trenches and head up on Will Hernandez. Difficult, though, to measure that when you come to stats with an offensive line. I think that's why Hollywood Brown got a lot of the attention leading the team in receptions or as far as re, uh, yeah, receptions and then finishing second in receiving yards and tied for first in touchdowns with three. He did, though, miss time, and I think that needs to play a factor in this as well. He missed five games that certainly would have helped this offense, but if you look at the stats and what he was able to put up in just his first year, Hollywood Brown is the winner as far as newcomer of the year. Now, the closest votes is play of the year. There are basically two different plays, and once again, Paul was on the wrong end of the choice, but the winner is week two. That's right, you got to go back to week two in Las Vegas. Byron Murphy's walk-off fumble return for a touchdown based off the hit that Isaiah Simmons made. That received 15 votes. Kyler Murray's 22nd two-point conversion in that same game, by the way, received seven votes. Look, I'm just telling you, the sideline reaction, yes, Byron Murphy's fumble return for touchdown. Everybody celebrated that like they should have. It was a walk-off game winner in overtime. I get it. Uh, And there was some stat. It was the longest fumble return in overtime history. There was some sort of, okay, that's great. But just in terms of the shock and the awe of Kyla Murray's 22-second two-point conversion run where he absolutely made the Raiders – defense looks so stupid just turned them into a clown show just the ability to extend that play and turn it into backyard football something honestly I don't think we've ever seen before and and I'm just telling you the reaction from the sideline in terms of how wide the eyes were and how many jaws dropped that's why I went with the Kyler Murray two-point conversion run now that's not a surprise because if you look at those other other individuals who voted for that play Hash, Wolf, Darren Urban, Danny Sarek, and yourself, you all were in attendance in that game and saw it. Now, it's one thing in real time, and it's in front of you versus on a TV screen, but the pushback that I'll have is that, yes, it was a tremendous play, but that was the first of two two two-point conversions, and you don't win the game unless you have Byron Murphy, and as few wins as this team had, (laughs) that win became very important, and it did – for a little bit of time, seemed like, okay, after losing week one, you win week two, you get some momentum. Obviously, we know it didn't transpire that way, but just the 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 way that game finished and then going into overtime, a game this Cardinals team had no business winning whatsoever. But, yeah, Kyler Murray got him into overtime, but it was Byron Murphy and the defense that won the game in overtime. What was the yardage on Byron Murphy's walk-off? What was it again? Was it 58 yards? Was that the uh, – I believe it was somewhere somewhere more than 50 yards, correct. It was – I'm I'm just going to say, as I try and see if I can find it here on the fly, I have all these stinking notes from the year, and, you know, I take the time to put the notes in, and it would be great if I could find them. Here we go. Byron Murphy's walk-off fumble return for touchdown, the longest overtime fumble return – 
for touchdown in NFL history, 59 yards. Do you know what Next Gen Stats said about Kyla Murray's two-point conversion <laughs> run? It covered 85 yards. I know that's not official, but that's in terms of ground covered, sideline to sideline. And now he ended up from one side of the field to the other side of the field and eventually into the end zone. So just in terms of the actual yardage covered, uh, guess what? Kyla Murray's shorter, at least based on the box score, two-point conversion run was much longer than Byron Murphy's game-ending fumble return. True, but you realize that two-point plays do not show up in the stat sheet. You don't get yards for it. You don't get receiving yards. You don't get rushing yards. You don't get scoring plays out of it. It's just a play. It's just it's 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 the PAT. That's criminal. You, you, That's criminal. You don't get the two yards, or in this case, the 85 yards. I mean, it's It counts on the scoreboard, but it doesn't count in the box score. Correct. How does that make sense? It's just basically a team stat. I don't get that. I I, I don't. I I, that that should be amended. Why? 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 Why would that somehow be outside the purview of a player's individual stats? I don't get it. So if you're a quarterback, you've got passing. You'd put it in passing yards, passing attempts, passing completions. So you'd have touchdowns, interceptions, and two point plays. You scored a touchdown, so thereby you've earned the right for the two-point conversion. So, yes, if the touchdown counts in terms of your yardage and your stats, why not the two-point conversion? I don't get it. To me, that's a no comprendo. Well, it might be something we have to look up yeah. and uh, and fight for. You know what? Your good friend, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the National <laughs> right. Football League, is coming to town in a matter of weeks, Paul. That's right. You two are on a first-name basis with one another. Well, let's see. It's two times we've interviewed him in the last <laughs> calendar year. It could be three. And you know what? I'm going to put that in a suggestion box if we do in see Raj Super Bowl week. As we speak here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. You have a better relationship with the commissioner of the National Football League than you do with the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, <laughs> at least as we no. speak here in January. Yeah. No, you know what? They do have one thing in common. Neither one of them <laughs> knows my name, put it that way. I might call him Raj, and I might contend that we're on a first-name basis. He has no idea who I am still, despite the fact I interviewed him twice. Although the first time I interviewed him, he did actually like the Pauly Pigskin moniker, and he did call that. Uh, he did call refer to me as Pauly Pigskin over the second half of the Q and A. But then when I saw him in Mexico City, no idea who I was. Work on that. Yeah. Again, the man Super- does like 800 interviews per month. Super Bowl is just right around the corner here at State Farm Stadium. All right, two more categories to get to here on our Cardinals Awards for 2022, and this is. I think this is where you can have some fun as far as selections beyond the box score player because it leaves it up to interpretation beyond the box score. And this is kind of where I think most people go when you don't have the stats to back up your offense or defensive player. You look for someone else, whether that's a defensive player along the defensive line or in this case, the offensive line because Kelvin Beecham received 13 of the 27 votes. Buda Baker got four. Zayvon Collins also got four. There were some votes for Zach Allen, Zach Ertz, and Billy Price as well. So a number of different selections, but as we keep chronicling here, none of the selections that Paul chose turned out to be the winner, but you did, in this case, you chose who? Zayvon Collins was my beyond-the-box score player of the year. This wasn't a slam dunk, but after much thought, maybe I overthought it in, in hindsight. In fact, honestly... Part of me wishes I would have voted for Andy Lee. Just the steadying presence of Andy Lee. How many times did the Cardinals punt this year? Actually, don't answer that. Uh, the fact that Andy Lee had a money uh, fake punt conversion pass uh, on the money with that thing. 
right? To and 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 that was a conversion. The fact that he might have been the most valuable Cardinal on special teams the last couple of games, just handling a lot of errant snaps and holding for Matt Prater. In some ways, I wish I would have voted for Andy Lee. But the reason I went with Zayvon Collins was because he started every game until the season finale. So he was almost a third player to play every single game along with J- what J.J. Watt and Kelvin Beecham. Were those the two? Those no. were the two. Yeah, those were the two, right? And so he was almost number three. He didn't plan on calling the defense. At least oh, I'm when sorry, this- Jalen Thompson. Jalen Thompson, that's right, that's right. Because J.J. Watt missed week one. He did, that's right. So it was Jalen Thompson and Kelvin Beecham. In fact, I should have known that because those were our two interviews in the season finale at San Francisco. But as for Zayvon Collins, remember, he wasn't the guy coming out of camp with the green dot. It was Isaiah Simmons. And that season debut got sideways defensively right away. Chiefs came out and they scored touchdowns on their first three possessions. And at that point forward, the Cardinals made a change during the game. And it lasted the rest of the year, and it was Zayvon Collins. So he had to call that defense. And, look, I don't think anybody had a bigger challenge this season than trying to replace Jordan Hicks. Not necessarily Jordan Hicks, the player, but the football IQ. And just getting that defense set and reacting to what an offense does. It's not only the pre-snap. It's it's adjusting as they're snapping it, making those calls, you know, reading, reacting, getting everyone aligned. So there was a lot on the plate of Zayvon Collins, and there were some ups, there were some downs, but he, the, I'd love to know if you got Vance Joseph in the trust tree just how much Zayvon Collins grew over the course of the year and evolved. Maybe the most improved Cardinal player from last year to this year, and you talk about not seeing playing time last season to not only seeing playing time but starting and having that green dot, being that quarterback of the defense, Zayvon Collins. Maybe we need to add a most improved player category because what you talked about earlier with uh, Calvin Beecham is what a lot of people and myself included went with is because yeah he was the steady presence on offense the only player on offense to start all 17 games he was the only healthy offensive lineman for all 17 games and I'll argue that there were several games he was not completely healthy but he was going to make sure he was going to be on that football field and then you talk about what he did off the field addressing the media when we needed someone to speak, whether that was something that happened on the field or the number of off-the-field distractions, i.e. Sean Kugler. It was Kelvin Beecham standing in front of his locker addressing every single question. That can't be measured and, again, goes beyond the box score. So that's why a lot of people went with Kelvin Beecham as that particular player this season. And you know what? That's a great point. And when you talk about beyond the box score, you're obviously talking about all those other things off the field. And there was that week after Sean Kugler was dismissed from the team and the locker room was empty. And no one said anything until the very end of the media open session and in walked Kelvin Beecham. And he addressed the entire media contingent in front of his locker and, and did it with poise and aplomb. And so, yes, those are the sort of things that, that I get it. I, I get why those people you know, voted for Kelvin Beecham because of all that. And I tell you, that Denver game where – where he got hit from behind on, on the same play where Colt McCoy yeah. suffered the concussion, Kelvin Beecham got rolled up on from behind something fierce, and he was in a lot of pain on that sideline, and he spent a lot of time in that tent, and it was a knee and an ankle from the same play, and yet there he was starting the next game. And that's he, I can't tell you how much more respect he earned from everybody in that locker room. Really surprised that he did play those final games because at the age of 33, and yeah, he does, I think, want to keep playing. Whether he does, 
That's a decision he and his family will have to make. Love to see him back here with the Arizona Cardinals. But then that becomes a question of, all right, what do you do with Josh Jones, which is another conversation for later this offseason, but certainly someone that you can count on. And you need someone that you can count on on that offensive line when you're talking about Kelvin Beecham. It's not always the most talented five players, but who are you going to have every single week to work on that cohesion and that chemistry? Kelvin Beecham, the only one that you can say that about. And the fact that Cliff Kingsbury and Hard Knocks called him Old Man Beach. I mean, come on. He's 33. You know, I mean, come on. Old man, he's 33. But he has that affinity with all the guys in there. And a lot of the guys have a lot of respect for Kelvin Beecham. Everything you just cited, plus his prowess in the business sector. If you believe some of the people around him, he's actually made more money already off the field with his business endeavors and his business acumen than he has playing football, which is saying something. So as Wolf and I used to joke on the Big Red Rage all year long, I don't care what office he's running for. I don't care who's running against him. I don't care what party he's affiliated with. I'm voting for Calvin Beecham if he if he's ever running for office as a politician sometime in the future. I echo that. By the way, uh, I was able to look it up. Andy Lee punted the ball 67 times this season, and he has a 83.3 quarterback rating based <laughs> off his one completion earlier in the season. So if you're looking for again, yeah. and another one of those players that is an unrestricted free agent. Yeah. That new general manager, Monty Austin Ford, is going to have to figure out, all right, do we keep or do we go after an Andy Lee or do we go younger at that position? When the season started, there were two 40-year-olds in the NFL, Tom Brady and Andy Lee. By the time the season ended, there were four. Jason Peters was uh, the third, and I can't remember the fourth, but it's exclusive company. It's a select group of 40-year-olds in the NFL. But we, would, we would be a part of that group, 40-year-olds in the National Football League. We just We just don't. Easy. Play the game. Easy, agree. I mean, there's a long way when you got to go across that white stripe onto the field. <laughs> that is a whole different dimension out there. Last category here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. It is most valuable Cardinal. This was a two-horse race, if you will. Buda Baker and J.J. Watt. Buda wins with 20 of the 27 votes. J.J. Watt finished second with six but, again, we go back to our conversation earlier here. And, all right, I don't like putting the same player in multiple categories, so I kind of spread it around. That's just something that I do. But when we talk about most valuable for me, it's Buda Baker, yes, on the field, leading the team in tackles. But it's the heart and soul, not just of the defense, but the entire team. And we saw that behind the scenes, his emotional speeches passionate speeches that Hard Knocks caught this season. So for me, Buda Baker, the most valuable player on and off the field. And I get it. And, and you know what? Maybe the single most poignant moment in Hard Knocks was Buda Baker after the Eagles loss, after yet another home loss, and just the angst in his voice and on his face, just the utter frustration and him venting. You know, we do the post-game radio interviews down from the locker room. And you can't see into the locker room, but you can hear. And that was, it was audible, that, that reaction from Buda Baker. And so um, I, I, I wondered how long it would be before that would make the final cut and get into hard knocks. And it did the very next week. So we all saw it for ourselves. And you see how much football means to Buda Baker. When he said, it hurts to lose at home, to lose again. I mean, he meant it. That wasn't for the cameras. 
That, that was 100% sincere and genuine. I, I thought that the other guy who single-handedly saved hard knocks in the final month of the season, though, was the guy who got my vote for most valuable Cardinal, and that's J.J. Watt. He reached performance incentives in his contract for all those sacks as he got to double digits. I thought HBO and NFL Films should have given him a performance incentive for saving hard knocks. Honestly, they should have given him a check for how much they featured him, and he saved the keister of everyone down the stretch in that series. But between his Pro Bowl caliber play, and I thought he was right there, between the pending retirement, between the elite brand of leadership that we saw, and it wasn't just here or there. It was constant. It was J.J. Watt as a constant team leader and really being relied upon to deliver the message. And whereas Buda Baker is the heartbeat of the team, I thought J.J. Watt was the conscience of the team. And, and you saw it on the field before games, the way he would rally guys. You, you saw him on the sideline. You know, so just for me, you know, maybe it's kind of a career achievement award in some ways, the MVP. But he was such a good get, is what we call in the media business when you get a good interview. He was a good get for the Arizona Cardinals in 2021-2022. I know they paid him a lot of money. And, and honestly, I never thought I'd say this when they signed him. But he earned every penny. Uh, you know, he, he really did, he, despite missing so much of, of 2021. Man, he came back with a vengeance this year, and, and that's why I gave him the MVP. We questioned where this team would be and where it would go based on the effort each week because this season got sideways. But you never questioned the effort that was out on that football field, and I think it's a direct reflection of J.J. Watt and Buda Baker because they led by example. They voiced what they wanted to see, and if either one of those two, either not on the field or not on the team, then yeah, 4-13 and 13 could have very easily maybe been the same record, just not looked like it did, especially down the stretch. Can you put a value on the sort of example he was for Zach Allen, my Jay Sanders, Cam Thomas? These are building blocks, part of the foundation of that defense going forward. And for them to actually see J.J. Watt and, and see the work he put in in the offseason, that, that stuff that's invaluable in the development. I heard an interview with Anquan Bolden, and, and he was talking about, look, if there's one or two guys in the locker room who aren't upholding the standard, and they're veteran guys, you don't realize how much that rubs off on younger guys. So conversely, if you can get a good example of how to go about the profession, you know that was J.J. Watt. And I think, you know, look, Zach Allen is a great player, but I, I'd love to know just how much of Zach Allen's evolution here in year four in his great season was a byproduct of just J.J. Watt rubbing off on 94. By the way, if he had received the Most Valuable Cardinal Award that you gave him, Paul, I'm sure he would put it right on that mantle with Walter Payton, sure. NFL Man of the Year, yep. and soon to be that Hall yep. of Fame bust as well. Actually, I put it right next to the stuffed badger. <laughs> the taxidermic badger and my vote for MVP would be on the same shelf somewhere in his basement. Real quick before we close up shop here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, no more football for the Cardinals, but divisional play continues this weekend. Four games total. Anything stand out to you or having your eye on one or more of the games? Obviously, within the NFC West, you're looking at the 49ers. Seahawks no longer involved, but at least for two Bay Area kids, and I'll say that 
because the 49ers and Cowboys brings back memories to, at least for me, going all the way back to 1981 in that NFC championship game and the catch, Joe Montana to Dwight Clark. But I found it interesting. Cowboys and 49ers meeting for the ninth time in the postseason. That is tied for the most all-time playoff matchups along with the Cowboys-Rams and 49ers-Packers. That's interesting. Yeah, we've seen a lot of 49ers-Packers in recent history. No question about that. I agree with you. You know, maybe it's maybe it's because, you know, uh, going back all those years, but to see Niners, Cowboys in the playoffs. But here's the other thing. Can Brock Purdy keep it up? The 2017 Arizona Cardinals High School Player of the Year, Brock Purdy, can he really keep it up? Because guess what? That's Seattle defense. I mean, what were they doing with some of those cover zeros? And it just it was an unsound defense. Too many guys were too wide open too often. It was too easy for the 49ers against Seattle. I don't think it'll be that way against Dallas's defense. I want to see Brock Purdy against Micah Parsons, the closest thing to LT we've seen in a long time. It is just crazy the way they deploy him all over the defensive front. His ability to get to the quarterback, even against Tristan Wirfs, an all-pro right tackle, he made Wirfs look stupid a couple of times. Micah Parsons is a fun watch. I want to see him against that Niners offense, what Kyle Shanahan's going to do. But I'm also curious – how legit is Dallas? Tampa looks so bad. I mean, how much of that big win by the Cowboys was Tampa looking horrendous? And how much of it is a Cowboys team that is trying to do something they haven't done since the early 90s? And that is get to an NFC championship game. If just you want to yeah, talk just about get history. out of the divisional round. Right. I mean, they haven't done that in, in forever. So to me, that is the most intriguing. But then Daniel Jones, if you want to stay in the NFC, I mean, how many people? You know, because we all know, look, um, you know, the recency bias. How many people right now, if you had to pick between Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones, the two top quarterbacks in the 2019 draft, how many people would go with Daniel Jones based on what you just saw? And the fact that Brian Dable ran him 17 times, I mean, they were using him like a running back. He was getting hit like a running back in that game. I, I don't know what's – everyone talks about Lamar Jackson, what sort of longevity he's going to have, but – the way they were deploying Daniel Jones, and then I found it interesting after the game when they asked Brian Dable to assess his play, he was reticent to really heap too much praise on, on Daniel Jones, who set some historical record by throwing for more than 300, rushing for more than 75. The only other quarterbacks to do that in NFL playoff history, Steve Young and Lamar Jackson. And Dable was really reserved in his praise, I thought, for Daniel Jones. Now, obviously, he has a pending contract negotiation. Maybe he didn't want that quote to be used against him in a couple of months around the bargaining table, but, uh, you know, I'm really intrigued on what is essentially the same team, the New York Giants. Yes, they added Kayvon Thibodeau, and he was very good in that game, but that to me shows you what coaching can do. As bad as the Giants were under Joe Judge and as good and sound as they are now under a Brian Dable, I think that gives you hope for the Arizona Cardinals. Once you get rid of the self-inflicted and all of a sudden you're detail-oriented again, when I watch the Giants, I see the upside. What is could be a best-case scenario for the Cardinals 2023? First-time head coach with a quarterback, a young quarterback, and has the Giants going into Philadelphia on Saturday. You got another first, I wouldn't say first year with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but not a first-time head coach. What Doug Peterson has done with Trevor Lawrence, who, by the way, this Peterson does not like this stat, but the stat that's been making the rounds this week, Lawrence is 41-0 and 
on Saturdays in his playing career, going back to high school and then obviously during <laughs> oh his time gosh. at Clemson. And that Jaguars-Chiefs game is the first of the four games Saturday at 2.30 Arizona time. So 41-0. and 0. That was brought up to Doug Peterson, and uh, he wanted no parts of that information. Okay, so if you want to go with a stat like that, I don't know what it is exactly, but Andy Reid's track record of coming off a bye is stellar. I mean, it is all time in terms of success. And I just – I look at Kansas City and I look at what Patrick Mahomes is doing. I don't think Jacksonville's – now, they have a decent pass rush, obviously, with their two edge guys. Uh, but I, I don't see Jacksonville being able to hang with Kansas City more than beyond the second quarter. Uh, based on especially on how the Chargers should have blown out the Jacksonville Jaguars. So nice story in Jacksonville, but it comes to a screeching halt, I think, in what will be a lopsided win by Kansas City. The other game that we have not touched on, it's a game that we were all excited to see on Monday Night Football. Did not get to see it because of what happened with DeMar Hamlin, but the Bengals at the Bills on Sunday afternoon. That matchup doesn't scream divisional. That screams championship game. And that's a game that I think a lot of people are pointing to as far as, all right, can the Bengals get back to the Super Bowl? Can the Bills advance and win a Super Bowl with two very young quarterbacks? Is, is Josh Allen, can he protect the football? I was no. reading no. it the other day. that The Buffalo Bills have turned the ball over more times than I think only two other teams this season, the Texans wow. and Colts, yet here are the Bills in the divisional round of the playoffs. Yeah, the Bills were sloppy enough, I think, to give you concern. And and I thought the O-line was a liability. How many times did Josh Allen get sacked in that game? Seven times by that Dolphins defense who did not hesitate to dial it up and bring numbers and had a lot of success doing so. Buffalo couldn't run the ball. I think they're one-dimensional still on offense. I think those are going to be liabilities against Cincinnati. I think it'll be a really close game. But I'm not betting against Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow in the playoffs – yeah, I, there's something about his bravado and his ability to do what is just enough and necessary to get a win. And uh, for all that, I just think Bill's maybe a little bit too haughty, as I told Ron Wolfley about his Orchard Park guys. A little bit too haughty, and it almost cost him against the Dolphins, and I think it does against the Bengals. Here's the schedule again on Saturday. Jaguars at Chiefs, followed by Giants at Eagles, and then on Sunday afternoon, Bengals at Bills. The nightcap, Cowboys at 49ers. That's the one that I think television is really looking forward to, considering what the Cowboys and Buccaneers did on Monday Night Football. Better than $30 at its peak. Here's the thing. The Cowboys are on a short week, and the Niners have the extra day of rest. I heard Tony Dungy go off on this, that it is patently unfair, in Tony Dungy's opinion, that even back when he was coaching, he used to do some of the research on that. And and to have a two-day advantage on a playoff week, like the Niners do over the Cowboys, that he. so I'm, I'm curious how the Cowboys look in that game, but to have the less recovery time and less preparation time for a Kyle Shanahan offense that is really tough to fit, and you better make sure that, that you're sound. Uh, I'm curious. I, I hope that game is as close and as competitive as a lot of people think, but if the Niners come out there and they just look like the more physical team and they're sharper – I think a big reason why is just that short week Dallas had to deal with and go on the road. Well, remember, Cardinals and Rams were that Monday night game a year ago. The Rams win, advance, and 
It, it, it can be a factor. No one's going to say it going into that matchup, but pay attention to how the Cowboys look on Sunday afternoon. Hey, how about 2009 when the Cardinals had that epic playoff win in overtime against a young Aaron Rodgers, and then what happened? They were on the short week going into New Orleans the next week. Now, Saints were a juggernaut, and that was the loudest building I've ever been in. Any sport, any game. That playoff loss by the Cardinals at the New Orleans Saints, which, by the way, the Cardinals start off with seven nothing lead, and then I think the Saints ripped off like 35 unanswered points or whatever it was. But Plus, the Cardinals had some injuries like DRC, and there was another injury to a cornerback early in that game. But all told, I mean, the Saints had the rest. The Cardinals did not, and that was an advantage in that game. They, it was just they were playing at a different energy level, the Saints, in that playoff game back then. Good news is I think weather will not be a factor in Santa Clara on Sunday afternoon. Hey, they did a miraculous job oh, yeah. of making that field playable, <laughs> considering it. And the w- sun came out because it was a torrential downpour during all the pregame yes. hits yeah. in the morning and early in the afternoon. All of a sudden, the, no issues with the weather. They're actually lucky it was in Santa Clara and not in the city <laughs> in San Francisco because I think the stat was San Francisco had not seen that much rain over a 10-day stretch since the 1870s. Oh. It was like a 150-year span. They had not seen that much rain. That's how historic and epic the rainfall has been lately in Northern California. How was that covering that back then, Paul? (laughs) That's a good one. Hey, I was there for the 82 rains as a San Jose Mercury News paper boy having to drive there. You know, that'll teach you some mental toughness, Gree. Let me tell you. You know, as I told Darren Urban, I flexed it over 100 papers, and you got the route bike going through a driving rain that winter. That'll get you ready for adulthood. Now everyone needs just a phone. Now it goes digital, get your uh, newspaper and all your information. So, again, it should be a lot of fun this weekend. Four games and, of course, an eye on what's going on within the NFC West with the 49ers hosting the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. By the way, all the information as far as the Cardinals awards for 2022 go to azcardinals.com the article is up so you can see how everyone voted not just how Paul chose not to vote for any of the winners well and you'll see how everyone got quoted except me as well and I do mean everyone everyone got quoted in there I mean we're talking video editors IT middle managers everyone got quoted in this article except Paulie Pencilneck Got to be able the to choose. Outrage. You What's have going to on? choose the winner. You have to I mean, choose the winner. Everyone, Why quote somebody who didn't pick the right guy? I wrote a blurb about every <laughs> every category. I mean, at least use one of my quotes about one of the guys who did win. I mean, no. I I mean, I guess 18 years on the sideline covering this team since 1995 isn't enough to actually make the final edit. Who's responsible for the final edit? Is it Darren Urban? I'll raise my it's hand. You, great. I, if I would have known that. You know, I never would have shown up for this podcast. You know, I officially just did this podcast under protest. Well, it's a good way to end this podcast here. Under protest. It's an outrage. Holy minority. On that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Joe Mamahundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2. Can always get worse.